Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Tony, number 72 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I are going to be taking a look at our starting pitcher preview review. So if you'll remember a couple months back, we did our starting pitcher preview. Uh, this time we're going to be looking at ADPs from 1 to 200, some key starting pitcher battles. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. We'll do that this week and the next week we'll do part two of our starting pitcher preview review and we will be taking a look at some of our uh, deeper draft uh, targets for starting pitchers. So it should be a lot of fun. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at Bat. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 72, continuing our reviews of our previews of the positions for the 2021 fantasy baseball season. Tonight, we get to the starting pitchers, which we talked about eh, a month or so ago. So we'll go over the kind of a uh, couple handful of debates in the top 280p. Some shots afterwards. Got a lot of good listener questions to go over. And for those keeping track at home, we're using NFBC ADP from the online drafts. We changed it over online drafts since February 1st because there's 14 drafts in the books. So get an idea there. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and the Batflip portion of the show on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? Doing great, Bubba. You know, just um, plugging along here. The March is right around the corner. Our next podcast will be in the month of March, which is the month. Uh, for drafting fantasy baseball. So that's very exciting. I know the baseball pods tournament has has begun. And so, um, you know, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun, a good opportunity to get exposure for a lot of podcasts, especially ones that don't have, um, you know, the huge followings. Definitely hope that, um, uh, definitely hope that, you know, you guys will consider voting for us. You know, if you listen to the pod, which you clearly do if you're hearing this message, and you like the pod, then vote for us. Yeah, we're not. Gonna, we would we would really appreciate it. Yeah, we're not going to hire any bots this year. We're not going to do anything like that. So if you like no us, bots. take us. But uh, we we'd love to uh, love to make a good showing. But it is what it is. It's uh, it's already getting kind of interesting and fun out there. So we'll see how it goes. I think we're up on Thursday, if I remember correctly. Okay, could be wrong. Could be wrong. Thursday is a good day. I don't Thursday even know. A good day. Yeah, I don't even know. But uh, we did stay starting pitcher show. And look, huh, Nick Pollock said, "Did someone say starting pitchers?" Yes, we did, Nick. Yes, we did. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. You are one of the pitching gurus. So tell us everything we we're getting wrong when we talk about this. PitchCon was a blast. PitchCon was awesome, and I'm so happy. Uh, that reminds me, Nick, um, on Pitcher List on their YouTube page, it came out on Tuesday. So you can access all the uh, presentations on YouTube, which would be pretty cool because uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out the Twitch. So I've been waiting for uh, YouTube YouTube to come out. I even like I messaged fast on Saturday while they were doing stuff, and I wanted to go back and listen to stuff, some stuff. I'm like, hey. When he's on YouTube, like last year, I could watch him right away. He's like, oh, we're doing stuff to him. They'll be there Tuesday. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. I'll figure it out from there. So looking forward to it. Always goodies uh, on that one. Let's talk starting pitchers. Starting pitcher review, preview the goodies. Like I said, ADPs from the online since 2-1. The big three still goes to Grom, Cole, Bieber, which uh, it's pretty much been that way for the most part. DeGrom topped out at uh, 99 today in his pitching, by the way. If anybody's keeping track at home, pretty uh, good stuff. You, I'm just – we don't have to go deep on this. You're still good with this being the, the main three in their own tier? Yeah, definitely. It's been interesting over the last little bit, I think, since the NLDH seems a little bit more firm. You know, DeGrom's been going ahead of Cole, which is a reversal from earlier on in drafts. 
I mean, all three of these guys, you know, Bieber obviously has COVID, so we got to monitor that and see how he does when he comes back from camp. But given, you know, uh, it seems like he's got mild symptoms, although that doesn't really tell us necessarily how how somebody's how it's going to impact somebody long term. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see about that. But I think all three of them are great. If I had to order them right now, I would probably go with Degrom. I think I had Cole ahead of him earlier on in the season, but I do think that that the NLDH does make a difference. I mean, they're so close; it makes a difference. I maybe have a little less injury concern with Cole than Degrom, but I think Degrom is just Degrom is just nasty. I mean, he's just unbelievably good. So is Cole, but the AL East is going to be a little bit tougher uh, for a variety of different reasons, I think. Um, so that's how I'd order them. I think Bieber a firm third, but I don't feel bad about having Bieber. I think he's actually my most owned of, uh, or the guy that I have on the most number of teams. I only have one, I only have one share of Cole in 13 drafts, which is kind of sad, but. Oh, wow. We'll have, to, we'll have to change that. Um, DeGrom, Cole, Bieber, like I've never had a problem going to Grom or Cole. Like if you want to use the DH thing, I still think that the DH is a possibility. I'm not giving it up till I see that first pitch on opening day because these guys are going to want the, as much money as possible. So it's, they're in, they're doing something like uh, I can't remember where I heard it. I think it was on the Baseball HQ podcast. Um, and Joe Sheehan said last year they expanded the playoffs the night before opening day. So <laughs> like literally until I see that first pitch, I've kind of been that way. And everyone can look back on previous shows. Like I think it's all about money. Follow the money. They want the money. So it, it, I, I still think it's a possibility. But um, we'll see. It, it is a bit a boost to the ground. I give you. I'll give you that much. And it's interesting looking at the, the ADPs. The Grom's gone first overall and as low as eighth. Cole's gone as high as third and as low as ninth. Bieber's high as sixth, as low as twelve. So they've uh, they've done their thing. They're pretty much the first three off the board, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Bieber is in camp already, so his mild symptoms appear to be mm-hmm. mild. We'll see um, how that all plays out, but everything looks okay for Shane Bieber right now. All right, as we go a little farther down the draft board, the fourth and fifth starting pitchers off the board: Trevor Bauer at pick thirteen, Darvish around pick fifteen. Both gone as high as 10. It's a tough one for me because I have a little bit of you, Darvish. I have zero Trevor Bauer. I'm very scared to draft Trevor Bauer. Um, what are you doing with these two? Yeah, I'm scared to draft Trevor Bauer as well. I had an opportunity in my most recent draft to do that. I mean, I think the thing with Bauer is we've seen him be up in these positions before. We've seen him fall back. I don't think he's the pitcher that we saw last year. I think there was just a number of different things going on, whether it was the NL Central just being an incredibly weak hitting division last year. He had the Babbitt luck. He had the strand rate luck. He had the home run luck, at least compared to what he's done before. We obviously saw the spin rate jump, which I think has been a primary focus of, of what a lot of people have talked about. But we haven't really seen a change in the metrics. Like they were slightly better than previous years, but nothing to justify what he was able to accomplish. Obviously, the Dodgers is a great place for him to end up. He ends up in the NL. He ends up on a perennial winner. He should get access to a bunch of wins. Even with the dead end ball is like helping him because he's a he's a very much a fly ball pitcher. So there's a lot of reasons to like Bauer, but I just I just can't be confident in um, in the ratios for me. I mean, you know, and it may just be also like I have to come clean. It may be a little bit of a bias of just not really digging the guy. Um, so there's that. And I think with, um, with Darvish, uh, Darvish, you know, since he's developed the cutter, he's been a very good pitcher and it's obviously 
about a year that we've had information on it, but he just has such a deep arsenal. He's got a number of different pitches um, that can hurt you. He's in a great situation as well with the Padres. I know there's some chatter about, you know, the Padres going to the six man rotation, um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that'll happen. But at this point in time, I he'll sit here until I hear something uh, a little bit more definitive, you know, all of that, all of that assumes that people are healthy, assumes that they want to throw, you know, Morion or whatever on, on the, on the sixth day, assumes that they want to mess with their regular starting pitchers schedules. So we'll see what, um, we'll see what ends up happening, but I still think Darvish is, is an elite option. I struggle a little bit between, you know, who my number four is after those guys. I, I do kind of like Giolito a lot. I think there's less concerns about the volume. I think there's less injury concerns. You know, the upside is tremendous. And I think the situation with the White Sox is really good too. Uh, and he's a fly ball pitcher as well. So he's helped out by the dead end ball. So a lot, I don't think you can mess up going with either of those three, to be honest with you, but I would have Bauer at the end of that. I, I, I just don't feel great about drafting him. Well, we'll talk about G Lead on next, but um, no, I jumped ahead. Ah. Yeah, uh, but uh, we we got some comments over here. I wanted to shout. Just you speak about the NLDH, and Justin Mason will arrive because he's been he's been with me on this one. I've heard him talk about it. The DH will appear, and then shout out to our buddy Rob D Pietro, uh, Poolheader Podcast. Go check that out. He uh, says hello and uh, the reigning TGFBI champion. He believes in the DH as well, Kevin Hastings. So check all that stuff out. Um, and, <laughs> And Rob wants to know, but what about Trevor Bauer's Conor McGregor's flag off the mound? Well, if you see how Conor McGregor's fighting the last few times, it won't go too well for him. So let's put it that way. Um, I pulled up the pitch leaderboard for Alex Fa- uh, uh, Alex Chamberlain, and um, it's it's fun to look at because you talk. Everyone talks about how Bauer's dominated last year, which he did, beat out you Darvish for the Cy Young. Um, but you look at swinging strike rate, Bauer fourteen point one, Darvish sixteen. Called strike rate seventeen point three to nineteen point three. So uh, he had about a 4% CH, uh, Darvish had about a 4% CSW advantage on Trevor Bauer, which I like to see quite a bit. And um, I apologize. And the hard hit rates is where things differ a bit and the dynamic hard hit rate. And this is where it gets interesting to me is uh, Bauer had a 38.2% hard hit rate, uh, Darvish 34.8. Dynamic hard hit rate, 9.2% for Darvish, 21% for Trevor Bauer. Twenty. Uh, th- that's a astronomically large dynamic hard hit rate. I'm guess it feels like it's not calculated properly. So that's, that's one to, to possibly look at, but you just look at all the, all the peripherals. Bauer was good. What makes me wonder is, was he an accumulator? Like his, his ERA was great. Don't get me wrong there. Like that was good, but he threw so many innings. Did he just like all the extra peripheral stats to that help him out a bunch? Cause you look at the, the basics of it and it's uh it's, it's pretty messy overall. And it's one thing. And the other thing with, with, Bauer in recent years, you've seen him be really, really good, and you've seen him be mediocre to bad. It fluctuates so much. There's there's never really a fine line. It's it's one or the other, it feels like. And as your fourth starting pitcher, you really need to uh to figure that one out pretty quickly. So I go Darvish over Bauer. I'm also not as concerned about Darvish's health because it's been a few years since we've seen that take place. So that kind of argument doesn't uh, doesn't fly with me as much anymore. All right, the next two pitchers off the board. Lucas Gilito, Aaron Nola, pick 18 for Gilito, 23 for Nola. Um, I have Gilito as the fourth pitcher off the board as well, like you were mentioning. But how do you go between Gio and Nola? Because I know Nola, they have jumping uh, some people also. Yeah, I mean, I like both. Actually, in my most recent draft, that's those are the two starting pitchers I grabbed was Gilito, I think, at 10. And 
um, NOLA at whatever after, is after 10, 21, I think. I can never figure it out. Even the first two picks, I can never figure it out uh, what numbers they are. But yeah, I think, um, you know, Giolito, I just think there's a little, there's more K upside there uh, for me. I think there's obviously not, the control is not as good, but I think when you just look at the overall package, you know, from a skills perspective, I think Giolito is much better, at least from a strikeout perspective. I think he's on a better team, you know, even though the Phillies offense is good. Um, I think he's got a, probably a better bullpen um, as well. AL Central is not a bad division by any means to be in, I think, especially if you're on the White Sox, right? Because if you're on the White Sox, then the, the best offense you're probably facing is the Twins, which the Twins have a fine offense, but I think they're mediocre, you know, across baseball. So you're you're dealing with, you know, all kind of eat at or below league average offenses from my perspective. You know, even if the Royals are better than I think a lot of people think they are going to be, I think Cleveland is not that great of an offense. And I just, um, I really like his situation. Nola does have the control aspect down. You know, the O swing is really high. He has that great, you know, he can go to the curve. He can go to the change. Those are excellent. Giolito's fastball is better, you know, than Nola's. I think that's the one area where Nola has a little bit of a weakness. But with both of them, you you can count on volume. You can count on them just being, I think, really solid pitchers. Even with Nola, you know, in 2019, he had pretty much like the worst half season he could have. And his numbers at the end of the season wouldn't make you super happy where you drafted him. But he was still like, I think, a 3.8 ERA or something and like a 1.25 whip at the end of the season. And while that's not great for your second round starting pitcher, it's also not going to be the reason that you necessarily lose a league. So um, for both of them, I think I think the upside's great. And I think uh, I think there's a high floor there, too. Yeah, I think they're both sneaky good. Nola's a guy that I, I keep looking back in on because a lot of people I respect are, are very, very excited on him. I've I'm starting to slowly uh, gain some more interest on him, but Giolito I've been in love with from the get-go. Big, big fan of his. Um, the way he's talking in camp already gets me pretty excited about what he's doing. I, I know he's trying to uh, – I believe he's working on his uh, curveball some more. He wants to add another pitch to the mix to really get things going, which will make things pretty exciting if he can get four solid pitches going out there. But you look at both these guys, there's not a ton to, to get cranky about, like – Nola 50% ground ball rate last year, which is phenomenal in that hitter's ballpark. That's great. They both have good CSW rates. Um, deserve ERA of 2.6 for Giolito, 3.01 for Nola, both phenomenal. The barrel FIP 2.95 for Giolito, 2.68 for Nola. These guys are very, very good. Like I don't have, I don't have a whole lot to, to, to dissect when it comes to these two great strikeout rates. Uh, walk rates can be a little better for Giolito. Like it's a little, little painty at times and, and can get a little wild, but. Uh, you mentioned the division much better for Nola than uh, I mean for Gilito than Nola. So I got Gilito as my fourth, and so I'll definitely take him over Nola. But I could see myself jumping Darvish and Bauer with Nola if uh, if things change a little bit in drafts. So that could be something. That's one reason why I haven't really. It seems like I end up with Gilito in the back end of the the one two area instead of a uh, Darvish. So I don't have to really worry about the debate. But um, I could see Nola jumping Darvish for me as well. Like that could be something done in future drafts. No, what I really think, like about, yeah. um, I, you said something that I really liked. You said nothing to get cranky about. <laughs> and I think, I think we should have a segment called getting cranky, getting cranky. You know, we're like, if we don't, if there's like a player that we don't like, we're just like, we're going to get cranky with it. You know, 
So that's 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 what I would like to have happen. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to work on that. If we get knocked out of the uh, the first round of the pods, we'll we'll have a cranky <laughs> segment next go around. We can, we can definitely do something like that. Uh, the next round of starting pitchers, we have Luis Castillo, 10th off the board, Flaherty, 11th off the board, Kershaw, 12th, going to pick 27, 28, and 30, respectively. I grouped these three together because, A, they're drafted close together. we got Luis Castillo, very popular with guys like SP Streamer. I like him a lot. you got Flaherty coming off a rough season, but everyone was hyped going into last year. Then you got Kershaw, the, the boring vet that just continues to be awesome. So what do you do with these three? Yeah, I think um, I like Castillo a lot. You know, I think when we talked about him on the on the preview podcast, the starting pitcher preview podcast, you know, his four seam fastball had a phenomenal growth in the swinging strike rate. Although that's something that I'm a little leery about all these AL these NL Central pitchers is like if you look at their four seam fastballs, they all took like significant jumps up, like Castillo, Woodruff, um, you know, which which backed a lot of the the gains that they had from a skill perspective. But I think Castillo has that changeup he can go to. His fastball's improving, slider's good. So I think for him, you know, to be my, you know, first 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 starter, I think is fine. You know, would love to include him in kind of a pocket aces deal. Uh, that would work for me as well. So I kind of I like him um, the most, I would say, of that group. Um, after that, I mean, you know, Kershaw, you know, he always finds a way to be really good. You know, at the end of last year, his velocity tailed off a little bit. You know, the skills tailed off a little bit, but he was still phenomenal. Some questions about what the volume is going to be, especially coming off of, you know, the World Series victories, some of the talent that they've added to the rotation, the depth. I think that's always kind of a little bit of a concern, especially with somebody at his age. But at least you you feel good about locking down the ratio and, and locking down the wins, um, which are which are really are going to be very, very important. Um, and then with Flaherty, you know, Flaherty's, I've always had a tough time, um, getting behind Flaherty. I wasn't behind him last year. You know, he had that really good second half in 2019 that buoyed his value a lot, but from a skill perspective, he's maybe like a little bit of a notch below. I could definitely see him taking that next step. And he's, he's, he pitches in the NL central, which is great. You know, he pitches in one of the better ballparks for pitchers to pitch in. Um, which is phenomenal. So I don't think I don't think necessarily think that it's a bad pick. I just have not been able to get on board. I don't have any shares of of him this year, but I could be wrong. I, I would not be surprised to see him take a next step this year, especially just with the motivation of of this past year and the struggles and and never really having a chance to get going. So I think all of them are fine options. Castillo is one of the three that I actually have drafted this year. I don't. I haven't drafted Kershaw, and I haven't drafted um, Flaherty at all. Yeah, no, Castillo. I'm a huge fan of. I've drafted him in a lot of drafts. Um, he's one of the perks if you draft in the front end. So he's usually, usually not always sitting there late second round. Sometimes into the early third if you want to play that game. But you can snag him if you go hitter early. He can be your ace. If you go a Kohler to Grom early, he can be your number two for your pocket aces, like you said. He has fits that mold so well because. He brings that um, usually a pretty decent floor into the action. Like he can get walk happy because he's painting too much or whatever. But when he's actually in the zone, he's ridiculously filthy. And he gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of miscontact, a lot of weak contact because that changer just drops off the table. So I like Castillo a lot. That's why he survives in Great American Small Park just fine. You got the rest of the NL Central, like you mentioned. 
I believe I can't. I got to double check. I think they're still playing the AL Central and interleague this year. I, I I think that's what they tried to do with scheduling, but I'm not 100. Regardless, it's going to be a good spot for Castillo. The only caveat I'll say is there's still a good chance Castillo and or Gray gets traded, so that'll make things a little interesting. But for now, he's on the Reds, and I still like him quite a bit. Then the Flaherty Kershaw thing is really tricky. It's like I love Kershaw. I just feel he's going a little too early. Um, I'd rather have a mid-round three to back end of round three. We're talking 15-teamers. So if you want to say 12-teamer, end of round three, end of round four, it's probably where I'm looking at Kershaw. It's just because I love what he does, so it's kind of like hypocritical of me. But I am concerned they're going to baby him, like Toby said. And next thing you know, if you drafted a guy hoping for like 170 and now you're getting 140, and we'll talk about this later when it comes to the question. We had a listener question about the the uh, the uh, six-man rotations. It's a big difference in what you're drafting, and, and you got to know that Kershaw, there's a great chance this happens. So it's tricky in that respect. Then Flaherty, I've never been able to get in mind. I wasn't on him at all last year. I'm not going to take a, like a, a victory lap on that. That team's COVID situation was just nasty. Like there's no – that's not what I predicted. I predicted he was going to get hit, not hit with COVID. So – that's a different story. Um, but you look at all his numbers, good strikeout guy. When he does get hit, he gets hard, hit hard, though. And he gives up a lot more fly balls and ground balls. He gets benefited by pitching at that home ballpark and in that division. So that's good for him. But now you're leaving that division. So does he take a hit on the road games uh, outside of that division? Something to keep in mind as well. I still think he's very, very good. But I still don't think he's as good as he showed in the second half of 2019 that everyone's in love with. He's kind of an in-between aspect there. So – I'll go Castillo, Kershaw, Flaherty, but Castillo is pretty much the only one I'm grabbing in this set right now. All right, the next grouping we have is Zach Gallon, 14th off the board, uh, Snell, 15th off the board, Gallon at 39, Snell like 0.3 picks after him according to ADP. So they're going right next to each other. It's an interesting one because Gallon started out like a, a man on fire last year, kind of faded a little bit at the end, but not bad. Snell, new ballpark, new team. Everyone's thinking he's going to pitch a ton of innings. Might have a six-man rotation. Who knows? So what are you doing with Gallon and Snell? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't drafted either one of them. This is kind of the pocket of pitchers that I'm trying to avoid. Although I think with Gallon, I mean, Gallon's got enough. I mean, he's, you know, if, if, you, um, if you've heard a lot of folks talking, I know um, Eno's mentioned it. I think uh, Alex Chamberlain's mentioned it as well. I think Gallon is one of these guys who's able to suppress contact because he, because of the, command that he has. I mean, I think it's just excellent. You know, my concern with, with, um, with gallon is the fastball. I mean, it's not even remotely close to a dominant pitch for him, 4.8% swinging strike rate on the four seam, but then he also has, you know, uh, a fine slider, but then the curveball and the changeup are all excellent. And he throws all three pitches about the same. So with that type of a diverse repertoire, it, 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 it feels, feels pretty good. And I wonder if he lost a little bit of a little bit of velo. No, he was actually up 0.2 mile per hour. That's interesting. You know, his four seam performed so much more poor, poorly this year, even though the velo was about the same. So I'm not sure what exactly that's about. About you know, my one concern a little bit with Gallon is you know I think the D backs are just in kind of rebuild mode. You know, I, I don't know how formal it is. I think it's formal. You know, once they decided to trade Marte last year, you know they they will have decent pieces in that lineup, but just don't love that division you know you you have to go against the Dodgers you have to go against uh the Padres and then you have some of your starts against the Rockies that are at Coors although Gallon I think was one of the few guys who did 
who did decently well there. So I just don't, um, I'm not, I'm not in love with the situation. I'm not in love with the situation enough to take him where he's going right now. I'd rather wait a round or two and, and target some of the guys that I think we're going to talk about a little bit, a little bit later. So Gallon, I'm not, I'm not that interested in Snell. Obviously, you know, there's no doubt about the talent for Snell, but again, it's questions about, you know, um, health, you know, a uh, number of innings that he, that he can throw. I think he'll be good when he does pitch, but again, he's not efficient with his pitches. It doesn't allow him to get deep into games, whether you think that was the Rays pulling him or not. I don't necessarily think that that's, that's what it is. I just think he's inefficient with his pitches. He walks a lot of guys. He goes deep into a lot of counts. So he's not able to get that, that type of depth. So, I mean, I think he'll, I think he's fine. Um, super high skilled, no question about it, but not somebody that I want to, I want to get at this point in the draft. I think I have, I have him on one team cause he fell to like the mid fifties. So if he falls around there, then I think he might be worth the upside. If you already have a starting pitcher on your team and, and maybe you're looking for a little bit of ceiling from your starting pitcher, but otherwise, you know, despite the skills I'm, I'm kind of out on him. So I think with both of them, I'm not that interested, but you know, I think they're fine pitchers. Yeah. I, I liked gallon a lot more going into last year when he was drafted about hundred picks later. That was a lot more fun. He's a very good pitcher. It's just like you said, on a team that's probably not going to win a lot of baseball games, they don't have to push him. But they kind of want to save his arm for the future because he should be one of their top pitchers for the future. Or you never know. They might just trade him and go get more prospects. So there's there's a lot of snares. I doubt they trade him because he's still so young. But nothing surprises me with Arizona now. The starting Marte trade made no sense to me at all. So uh, Gallon's interesting. But yeah, he limits the hard contact, gets like a 44% ground ball rate, decent strikeout rate. Uh, limits the barrels. He had like a uh, almost a seven percent or so barrel rate last year. Deserved barrel rate of four point nine percent. So he, he does a really good job of limiting the damage. Deserved ERA of three point oh six. Uh, Lot to like about Zach Gallon. I have no complaints besides where he's going in the draft. It's it's just not not ideal in that scenario. And Snell, again, I I, I listen to podcasts all day, so I, I apologize <laughs> to, to to who where this came from, but it was a very 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 good stat. And I remember mentioning on the the preview before where Snell said in his press conference he's excited to play for a team that's going to let him pitch and all these things, but. And maybe it's still the Rays, but I don't think it was the Rays because they've documented third time through the rotation with Snell's sketchy. Last year, I think he went in the sixth inning one time, and he's never gone. He hasn't gone seven or more innings since April of 2019. So he really hasn't gone deep in game. When he pitches, he's great. Strikeout rates good. Swinging strike rates, called strikes. Every CSW is phenomenal. Hard contact's a little high, but like he had a nine over nine percent barrel rate last year, but deserved barrels four point two. So do that. Do with that what you wish. His deserved ERA was still 4.17. It's not like he was lighting the world on fire. It's one of those guys that if I'm wrong on him this year, he I'll be wrong. He's just not going to be on my roster. I'm not I'm not going to put up with the headache. And it's like you, you, t- you see these teams with six-man rotations. Like Darvish, you could see getting most of his starts, but you could also see the Padres telling Snell, yeah, you're a part of the six-man part. We're going to just take it easy with you. So I wouldn't be shocked by any of that. So I'll, I'll be passing on Blake Snell this year. I'll take Gallon if I have to in this group. Probably not taking either one of them. The next set of pitchers are the 17th and 18th pitchers off the board. Kintamaeda picked 49. Lance Lynn picked 53. Maeda coming off a monster 2020 season. Lance Lynn is an innings-eating machine and now joins the Chicago White Sox. So what are you doing with these two? 
Yeah, I think they're both very interesting. For Maeda, the concern is a little bit of volume as well as just some some you know regression that's due his way given you know uh, some of the BABIP and strand rate and all the all that jazz that we saw last year. That said, I mean there was a pitch mix change that he had that that under under underlay or underlie that all those changes you know that did take place. And so I and he's not going to walk a ton of guys. I think you're he's going to be a really nice whip, you know, contributor. I think the the ratio should be solid. You know, the major question for me with Maeda is volume, but he's not a bad like SP two to have for sure. Uh, it's an interesting. I like how you paired these two because Lynn, it's kind of the opposite. Like you're not necessarily expecting anything elite from the ratios, but the volume and the Ks are just going to be massive, especially going to the White Sox. He's going to go deep into that game. He's he's um, yeah. He's going to go deep in the games. He's not going to have very stiff competition, at least comparatively. I think. I mean, we obviously got to see his schedule, but I think he's a guy you can throw pretty much every single every single time out there. And you know, I think you're going to get not a strikeout an inning, a one two to one two five WHIP and three point five ERA or something like that, and. And that'll be great. And especially if he can actually approach 200 in innings this year, I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he, uh, he threw almost 80 innings last year. You know, I, I think, um, you know, he, he could, uh, he could be a huge, he could be a huge benefit and they have a very good bullpen in, in, in Chicago. So they won't just leave him in there, you know, uh, like the Rangers did on, on his last start to get to that a hundred, hundred, pitches pitch mark, uh, for the game and destroy so many of our, our fantasy teams. But I think they're both they're both solid. You know, I haven't been able to grab Lynn just because of where he's going. Generally, you know, if I'm if I'm getting my aces, you know, in the first couple rounds, then the third and the fourth round are, are where I snag some of the hitters that I like in that spot. And he normally goes around that time. So I actually don't have Lynn on any of my teams. I don't have my eight on any of my teams either. But it doesn't mean that I don't like them. Uh, maybe just um, just hasn't worked out quite yet. But you never know. Maybe it will. Yeah, these two guys are like conundrums for me. Like, I love Lanceman for the volume aspect, especially on a season where there's so many question marks with innings pitch. He did throw 84 pitches last year for the Rangers, over 200 the year before. You have to imagine 180 plus is very much of the cards this year. I think most projection sites had him for like 185. I wouldn't be shocked if he ever goes over that one. So it, it, he's just one of those guys, as long as he's healthy, he's going to just throw innings for you. It's just. Um, you look at his numbers and it's scary. Like he had a 113.4 max exit velocity, a 14% dynamic hard hit rate, 5.4% barrel rate, but a deserved barrel rate of 8.8%, uh, only a 29% ground ball rate. Now he's going to that ballpark that's a little sketch for uh, <laughs> it's for pitchers if you start throwing it around like that. So it's a very interesting scenario because like even his swinging strike rate is lower than most. He relies on just volume to, to accumulate those innings and those strikeouts and all that good stuff. So it's tough with Lynn, but those innings are clutch in fantasy. Very, very important. So I like him quite a bit. And then there's Maeda, who I don't have any on many rosters either because you look at him and it's like, okay, 25.5% hard hit rate, that's good. But an 11.1% dynamic hard hit rate, 5.7% blast rate, those are those are very, very uh, hitter-friendly numbers right there. But then like you look at the alternative, 7% barrel rate, like a 3.9% deserved barrel rate. So it's a little plus there. 39% ground ball rate. That's good. So he's just he's he's one that just concerns me because I think he ran so pure last year, like so so pure. Like can he do? Like a, he had an, a well bacon a two ninety nine with an ex well bacon a three sixty. 
it's like eventually regression has to come and like lens he could regress a little to the positive possibly maybe to the negative like he's kind of right there in the middle where my head was so positive last year he, he could still be very good but what you're expecting when you draft him feels like he's not going to give you is what really really concerns me with with Kent Maeda. and the other perk to Kent Maeda last year we were all loving him going out of LA to Minnesota but he's getting drafted so much later than he is now so it was so much more enticing to take the chance and it paid off He's not really that guy anymore. Now he has to be an ace where you're taking him. Where, like I said, if he regresses like I think he will, he'll still be very good. But you can get a guy like that in another 30 to 40 picks possibly, maybe later. So that's where I'm at on these two. It's very, very tough for me to, to pull the trigger on them. But I understand if you do because of what they could bring to the table. I think I like Lynn's floor better than Maeda's, if that makes any sense. So I'm kind of torn on those two. All right, next two pitchers off the board, Carrasco and Strasburg. Carlos Carrasco, the 23rd, Strasburg, 25th, 64th for Carrasco, 66th for Strasburg. I want to bring these two to the forefront. Carrasco, veteran reliever or veteran starter, pretty reliable. Now with the Mets, Strasburg, he's throwing already out of the bullpen. Uh, he's throwing bullpen sessions. Apparently everything's going great. quote-unquote, fully recovered from his surgery we know if Strasburg pitches well, he, he's usually up like a top 35-ish, 40 pick, not 66. So maybe this is perceived value. Where are you going with Carrasco and Strasburg? Yeah, I like Carrasco a lot, you know. Um, skills were really great last year, and they were they got better as the season progressed. So I really like him, obviously, pitching for the Mets, you know, in that stadium. That's going to be really helpful to him as well. So I, I like I like Cookie uh, a lot. Um, I have him on on a handful of teams um, so far this year. Uh, Strasburg I've stayed away from. You know maybe if I see the health in this spring training, but last year was kind of the only time I've ever had Strasburg on any of my teams, and so maybe it's a little bitter taste in my mouth. But it is an interesting injury, right? You don't really have like carpal tunnel happening all that often, and from everything I've read, it's not necessarily something that um, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm remembering it correctly, but that 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 lingers or or they anticipate impacting him, you know, in the same way post surgery. So you know, it's very different than like if it was a shoulder or an elbow or something like that, a forearm. Um, so you know, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But the thing is, once he if he is healthy during spring, then that means that he's going to get pushed up, and so I'll probably be out. So like Carrasco a lot. You know, I mean, just everything is 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 beautiful from him. You know, like the O swing doesn't walk a lot of guys. He walked a decent amount of guys in 2020 this past year. But if you look at kind of the rolling average for him, the walk rate uh, declined pre declined precipitously um, as the year uh, progressed. I think as he got a little bit more comfortable back on the mound after being out for an entire year. So feel really good about Cookie Strasburg. You know, staying away from him again. If he does look healthy this spring, then I think his cost is just going to shoot up. And, and when that's the case, then I'll, then I'll be out for different reasons. Yeah, no, you, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, big cookie fan as well. If he can be like my SP3, pretty darn ha happy about that. Uh, the strikeout rate's phenomenal. You mentioned the walk rates because people point to that as a massive concern. But they got better as the year went on. And I think in the National League, they, in that division, it's a little trickier, but I think he'll be just fine overall. I wouldn't be too concerned about that. And then with Strasburg, 
if he was healthy and still going here, I'd be much more inclined. But I'm with you. If he's healthy in spring, he's going higher. So it, it's very, very uh, – then, then we're talking about a, a comparison of Maeda Lynn Strasburg or even Gallon Snell Strasburg. And it's like, this is, where does Strasburg fit in there? And it gets it gets kind of murky. So I'll probably pass at that point because now you're getting – you're hoping for like 140 innings out of Strasburg or maybe 150. And that's just uh, hoping for a lot, I think. So give me cookie all day long. And Next. he's called Cookie, so yeah, he's sweet. You just gotta. That was good. You just gotta <laughs> chow down. Chow down on some cookie. Um, all right, the next three pack we got here. We got Hungjin Ryu, the twenty sixth pitcher off the board. Zach Plesac twenty seven. Sunny Gray twenty nine. Ryu's ADP of seventy. Plesac seventy one. Sunny Gray seventy one and a half. So they're all going right around each other, and it's like Ryu could be pitching in Dunedin. Potentially Buffalo later in the year. We don't know. Plesak, we know his story. Sonny Gray's in Cincinnati for now. We'll see. How do you approach these three? Yeah, uh, with with Ryu, I haven't been able to get behind him. I haven't drafted him yet. I think one of the reasons is because he's kind of a um, he's a he's a Kyle Hendricks, you know, type with a little bit more K upside. I think. But the divisional is a little bit tougher. There was a little bit of skill slippage last year, I think. And if I want to get like a Hendricks type, I could also always wait around and get Hen- the Hendricks himself. Or I could wait two rounds and I could get uh, like Granky um, or, or somebody like that. So I just feel like where he's going, I never end up wanting to get him. Although I don't necessarily think that it's a, it's a, bad, uh, it's a bad pick. You know, I think he's, I think he's fine. Um, uh, with uh, the other two guys you mentioned, um, Gray, I'm not that into. I just the walk rate scares me, uh, as does you know some of the velocity dip that he experienced last year, and the fact that the Reds want to trade him could be nothing, but it raises enough concerns for me where you know I'm I'm not uh, I'm not really in on him uh, at all. Um, which you know last year it looked really foolish in the first half you know, of, of, uh, of 2020, because I wasn't in on him last year either. And then it looked better the second half. So we'll see what he ends up doing, doing there. Certainly the skills are all there, but he's never been able to get the control down um, quite as you'd like. With Plesak, I had an opportunity to dig into him a little bit in more depth doing my presentation. I understand the excitement about him, but the one thing that I can't necessarily explain, and maybe somebody has explained it is, you know, he saw a dip in velocity on his fastball, and yet his secondaries improved very dramatically. But none of them is really, none of them really stands out from like a metrics perspective, like in terms of whether it's horizontal break, whether it's uh, vertical break. You know, there's just nothing, whether it's spin rate, like nothing really jumps out about those secondaries. And if you look at his rolling average graph, you know, he's he's been, he actually in 20, not uh, 2019 when he first pitched, he actually had similar metrics for a little bit um, during that season before the regression kind of turned against him a little. So I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not there at the price. I, I see, I see the interest. I see why people like him a lot because of what he did last year, but I just can't be get behind him at, at the price that you need to pay in order to draft him given, given what we've seen, you know, I'd rather take, you know, and there are, um, 
you know, some questionable takes that I'll have about pitchers going later on based on very small sample sizes, but I'd rather take, I'd rather take chances on upside at that point in the draft than this early on. Yeah. The, the premise of that is they're going later on. So <laughs> there's that's, that, that's, that's the perk of it all. Uh, yeah. You said it was Zach Blesak. I've dug into him quite a bit and there's like, there's a lot to like about him. I get it, but man, like the sample, we want to talk sample sizes. Like, it, you, you you can say this guy can't trust this over here because of a sample size, but we can trust Zach Plesax. It seems kind of uh, you know hypocritical to me. So it, it's just it's tough. I'm not saying it's not going to be good. It's just it's there's a like like I mentioned with Kent to my head, like there could be some regression coming back. It'll still be good. Plesax could be having some regression and it might not be good at all. So Plesax's floor and ceiling are so wide to me of what the outcomes could be with him. It's it's a scary proposition at this point in the draft. Uh, Ryu, I agree. I, he's just one of those guys everyone waits to blow up, and he just kind of keeps plugging along. It's like a twenty-seven point three percent CSW. That's not sexy at all. Like that's just real. That's that's not a, that's below league average. Um, he works on command, like you said. He's a he's a Hendricks type, just a little more strikeout upside. But uh, you, you expect the ALEs to catch up with him eventually. He was phenomenal last year. Maybe he runs hot still. I'll, I'll just have to kind of wait and see. Sonny Gray, I don't mind grabbing from time to, from time to time based on my roster. My roster at the time, I like the strikeout upside with Sonny Gray. I like the way he's been able to limit damage, uh, even in Great American Small Park. He's pitching with his guys there, um, with the driveline guys and everything, and his old pitching coach. So, I I, I like Sonny Gray. I get the concerns of Sonny Gray that was his command is very suspect at times, and that gets scary. But uh, we've said it a few on a few other pitchers. Most of your games in the Central, not all. Most of your games central will help a ton. Um, I, I just like what he can bring to the table there with Sonny Gray. So I have to pick one out of the three. It's Sonny Gray. If you don't want to take any of the three, I get it. But uh, I do have Gray on a few rosters going into the season. The next set of pitchers, you mentioned his name earlier, Mr. Zach Granke. Still not in camp yet, but don't panic. That's what Granke does. He'll be just fine. I got, he's going to show I, up throwing 82, Bubba. Yes, I, I, just, I just laughed when everyone was like, oh, he's not in camp. Like, he, has he ever shown up to camp on time? Like ever? Like he just doesn't care. Just relax. He's one of the guys that just doesn't need to, to throw. It's fine. He's the 40th starting pitcher off the board. Uh, our 40th pitcher off the board. Framber Val is 42nd. ADPs of 105.6 and 108.1. I put these two together for the fact that Granky is the boring guy. You mentioned why, but he kind of spits out his numbers. And there's Framber Valdez, who had a monster season last year, but there's a lot of people suspect to him. So what are you doing with these two? Wow, I didn't realize Framber had fallen that far. It's becoming tastier, isn't it? I, I, well, I drafted him at like picks like sixty something. He's gone as know, low as one. He's, not, he's gone as low as one twenty five. Wow, that's fascinating. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I like both of them a lot where they're going. I did. I really didn't realize Framber was going that late. I don't know whether it's because of the the twelve team aspect of the onlines or not, but um, you know, I. Um, yeah, I mean, with Granky, I, I like Granky a lot. Um, you know, he had better skills, arguably, in 2020 than he did in 2019. And the outcomes were just poor because of the BABIP. He's never had really a bad BABIP. And he went through a period where I think his BABIP against was 420 in like four or five starts. And so that's not something that that's something that works its way out over the course of a full season. And he just didn't have the opportunity to do that. And even despite that, I mean, he had a, an ERA in the very low fours, uh, a solid whip. 
you know, and, and he'll get some wins. So I feel really good about Granky. Um, I like him a lot. He's a target of mine. Um, and then Framber, I like a lot as well. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you're not, you have a, a small sample and all that jazz, but that curveball is great. 60 plus percent ground ball rate. You know, uh, the strikeout rate was legit. The, the control gains at least look legit. And yeah, they could be a little bit higher over the course of a season, but I worry less about that with the extreme ground ball rate that he's able to generate. So, you know, um, he's also going to make up for some of those guys that he walks um, or gives up hits to, uh, but through double plays, you know, when you have that extreme of a ground ball, uh, ground ball rate. So I like him a lot. I mean, as a, just a guy who can get like a kind of a mid threes ERA, like a one, two whip, with a strikeout per nine, which would be absolutely, you know, um, phenomenal to get, especially at that point in the draft as your, you know, SP, SP three ish territory. So yeah, I like all of them. Um, I like both of them a lot. Yeah. I'm a huge Framber Valdez fan. Like the fact he's dropping gets me more excited that I'm like, cause I haven't gotten a lot of shares of him because it seems like everyone else is excited earlier in draft season. Like you said, where you had to pick him. It was harder for me to pull the, the trigger at that point in the draft season. But, man, if I can get him post pick 100, that becomes oh so nice. Like, really, really intriguing. Um, I, I just love everything about him. I, I was on him in, like, DFS like crazy last year, and he was cheap. I have him in many leagues. I picked him up in a dynasty league off the waiver wire last year. And trust me, he's not getting released anytime soon. So um, just I just love everything about what he's doing. Uh, only a 31% CSW, so it's not great, but a 20% call strike rate. Uh, Granky has 21%, which isn't bad either. But um, th- you mentioned it with that curveball, he can throw it a ton, and the way it limits hard contact is just bananas. He gets tons of ground balls, tons of just weak contacts when he walks a few guys. It's like like when you look at Luis Castillo's profile where he can walk a lot of guys, but he limits hard contact and strike guys out with his changeup. Valdez is a poor man's Luis Castillo to me with a curveball. Like it, there's a lot of similarities there. He had a 54% ground ball rate. Castillo's got a huge ground ball rate. Obviously, Castillo's a much better pitcher. I'm not trying to say they're the same pitcher, but a lot of the things you like in a Luis Castillo, you have to kind of like in a Framberg Valdez, in my opinion. And I'm not the best pitcher diagnostic guy, but just when I look at all the numbers and everything, there's similarities there in their pitches. Maybe a changeup's easier to throw consistently in a curveball. I don't know all that. But uh, what Framberg's doing, I like a lot. Granky concerns me. I know you're a big Granky guy, so I'm, obviously I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you not to take him. Oh my God, Framber Val's at a 49.5% hard hit rate last year. Cool. He didn't limit hard contact as much as I thought last year, but he kept it on the ground. Yeah, but he kept grounds. it on the ground. Yep. Not yeah. too nice concern there. Um, and barrel rate was lower. It was only 7.9%. So that's not as bad. But uh, Granky just concerns me for the fact that he was starting to get rope doped quite a bit last year. He get he gets get left out there and get in trouble like second and a half to third time through the lineup. He just didn't seem to have the 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 uh, the Granky of old, and it seemed like his velo was down a bit. Uh, where he's going in drafts now isn't bad. I'll agree with that. That that's very very intriguing, but uh, it, it just concerns me going forward. Is, is it? Um, it's kind of one of those where he's getting older, and I kind of want to get off the train before it derails. And I don't. It might not derail this year, but I think it's coming sooner than later. So I'm I'm out on Granky this year. I'll just be kind of sitting away there. I'll definitely take Framber Valdez this year. As, I just keep fl- flipping through this uh, pitch leaderboard, and my God, it sits out. So, like, Granky, 24.5% K rate, 17% deserved K rate. It's uh, that's, that's quite a drop-off. So I'm just concerned with him, but uh, you're a smarter man than I am most of the time. So you go get him. Um, the next oh, three I have, will. 
Oh, I know you will. That's why, that's why I wasn't going to try to tell you I not will. to. I know you probably already have, so I'm not, not going to tell you otherwise. Um, I'm not like some people on Twitter that say, don't do this. Um, Charlie Morton, 46 pitcher off the board. Dylan Bundy, 47. Joe Musgrove couldn't do a podcast with Toby without talking about Ooh, Joe Musgrove. Joe, he's 48. Uh, Morton, ADP 117. Bundy, 121. Musgrove, 122. Musgrove's helium, it, it's coming. It's shooting up there. What are you doing with these three? The Wiley Vet, the Bundy off a big year, Musgrove's velos up. Everyone's excited. I mean, out of out of all of them, I think Bundy interests me the most. I actually haven't drafted Musgrove at all. The price, the cost is just too high for me. Yep. Um, you know, with with Bundy, I think there. You know, he's got two really good pitches in the changeup and the sl- slider. It's a slider, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, you know, which are really good. He's shown that he can pitch with the low velocity that he has, which which is important. And I think he's got really nice. Um, he keeps the walk rate low now, um, you know, at least the the walk, the control metrics because he's able to generate so many swings and misses on both the changeup and uh, the slider. So I really like that. You know, he was solid last year. I think there's arguments to be made that maybe he was a little lucky in some respects and a little unlucky in other respects. So I, I think he's, uh, I think he's 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 solid. I, I like him a lot. Um, with, um, with Morton, I just, I can't get behind it because of the age and because of the injuries last year. Um, if he, if he's, you know, full go during spring training, you know, he looks healthy. There are no setbacks. Velo looks good. You know, all of that jazz, maybe I'd consider it just because of where the cost is. And, and, you know, we know that he's, he's been able to do it before, but at this point in time, I, I really can't. Um, I re- I, can't, I just can't get there with him um, because of the age and, and the and the injuries that he's that he's had, and because I, I like some of the other guys that are you know kind of going here. Or I've already drafted three pitchers at this point in time, so I'm just kind of going for for offense. Um, with Musgrove, you know, I love I love Joey Musgrove. There was obviously the pitch mix change; he was throwing the curve a lot more. The velo was up. But this is every year, right? Every year the the velo goes up a little bit at some point in time, and he looks a lot better. One thing that I found interesting as I dove into him for my pitchcom presentation was his in zone contact rate actually never really wavered, despite like the increase, you know, the increased use of the curveball and all that stuff. So he remains a guy who, you know, I think will have a difficult time having a strikeout rate that matches the underlying skills because he's not able to dominate in the zone um, with his fastball. Obviously, that's where the, an uptick in fastball velo would help. But again, every year there's just some little minor injury, whether it's the abdominal thing that he had, you know, in 2019 or, you know, whatever it was that, that kept him out, um, you know, this year. He just can never seem to get right and get on that plane. And I'm sure at some point in his career he will. I mean, he's still only 27, I think. So um, he's younger than Luis Castillo, which is just amazing. To wow. Me. Um, and so I think he will, I think he'll get there at some point in time, but I just can't pay. I just can't. The, the price is, the cost is so high um, for him going right here with really like, has he ever really done it before for a season? Not, not really. And you know, you don't, you, you sometimes you just go on like what the skills show and, and all that jazz, and he's in a great situation. So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm rooting for him, but you know, unfortunately, I probably won't have him except on my on my dynasty team. 
Yeah, because that, that's your boy. You can't quit Joe Musgrove there. So Exactly, yeah. Got to have him. But, yeah, I'm with you. Bundy's the guy I want here. I was all in on him last year. Hard not to love him again this year. He was phenomenal with the pitch mix change like you talked about, and it's been well-documented with the Angels and, you know, a 2.8 deserved ERA. Exo Bacon only 335. That's not bad at all. Uh, he's just He was just good across the board. And in, you mentioned Morton, you know, four years ago maybe. would be awesome. There's just so many concerns with the age and the injury history that what are the Braves going to do? The Braves, do they go six-man with all their young pitchers and kind of keep everybody safe? They're young and they're old pitchers they have in, in town. Um, there's just a ton of questions with Mark Morton that I wish he was going later in drafts. I'm honestly surprised Bunny's not going higher in drafts. I figured he'd be getting a bump up there. He's kind of a – he feels a lot like a Lance Lynn type, just maybe a slightly fewer innings, but he was going deep in a lot of games for the Angels last year. So he, he's got that upside to, to eat up some innings for you, I believe. And then there's Musgrove. Yeah, I, I can't pay this price for Musgrove. I'm not even going to go into it. It's just – you mentioned it all. It, it's nice and all. It's cool that his velocity was up, but, you know, it just, it just doesn't really do it for me. His hard hit rate still the same. The dynamic hard hit rate's not great. His strikeout rate was up because he threw more, you know, threw harder. But if he's off, it's going to be ugly. And it's just six-man rotation also in San Diego can uh, limit some things as well. So I'll be off Joey Musgrove at this price point. Couple more to go here. We got Kevin Gossman, uh, 53rd pitcher off the board at pick 131, and Patrick Corbin, the 52nd pitcher off the board at one, just right, like basically the same pick as Kevin Gossman, ADP wise. Um, I brought these two together because Gossman, everyone's super happy about. Patrick Corbin used to go about 70 picks earlier, 80 picks earlier, had a rough year last year. Who knows? So, where do you stand on these two? Yeah, it's interesting. They're kind of like the opposites because Gaussman had the increase in his velocity last year, which helped him become a better pitcher. And Corbin had a significant decrease in velocity last year and, and kind of lost a little bit, you know, that slider that's so uh, critical to his success. I haven't really been on, on Corbin. Part of me feels like I'm making a big mistake in doing that just because, you know, if you if you just wipe out 2020, you know, where is he going in drafts normally? Probably around like pick 45 or something like that. Um, so, you know, he'll be a spring training monitor for me, I think at the same time, he also struggled a little bit, if my memory serves me correctly in the second half of 2019. Um, and so, and I think the control is getting a little out of hand. I think the challenge with him is, you know, Luis Castillo has his change up and he relies so heavily on that to be successful. Corbin does the same thing, but if he doesn't have the slider, he doesn't have a 97 mile per hour fastball, you know, and he doesn't have really another pitch that can help him out. And so he's so reliant on that slider and he's pitched well with, the, with, with lowered velocity with the diamondbacks he did, but again, he's a little bit older and um, you know, and, and, and so we'll, uh, we'll see what he, what he's able to do. I'm interested to see what, what his spring training is like. But right now I've been out. I, I I like Gaussman okay. Like if I'm really struggling, if I don't have a third starting pitcher by this point in time, I, I think I drafted him in one draft. It's tough to bump him up so much, but it's also like it's a velocity increase. Um, you know, the splitter continues to be a very effective pitch, but then he also developed, I think it's uh, it was either the slider or, or change up or something like a, not a like split change, but um another change up whatever his second pitch that he had was was better at least sufficient enough 
you know, to make them effective along with the uptick in velocity. So again, you know, uh, it's tough to put a lot into 2020, but for pitchers, I think I put a little bit more um, into 2020 than, than hitters for sure. And um, I was impressed with what I saw with Gaussman and a lot of the, the skills support what he was able to do. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of bad things to say about Gaussman. The only thing is I'm probably not going to be paying the price for him for the fact that I get really nervous about the splitter being such a used pitch because a splitter you can lose very quickly. If he does, if he loses the splitter, his fastball is not that dominant. It really isn't. So that that concerns me a bit. He's pretty much a two pitch pitcher still, unless he really develops that third pitch. And that's my biggest concern. I, as a Giants fan, I hope he's great. I hope everyone dominates their fantasy season with him. I just I'm, I'm very skeptical about uh, what what's taking place there. Is it uh, long the longevity of that transformation? But uh, we'll see. Could be totally wrong there. Like you said with Corbin, that's why I kind of brought it up. The numbers looked horrific from last year. I do remember many times playing him as a value in DFS, and he'd be good until like the fifth inning, and then either that or they throw him out an extra inning he shouldn't have been out there type thing. They just they leave him out too long in games. They did that with a lot of guys last year. I mean, Scherzer, Jesus. Yeah, like the Nationals, like Corbin, was he'd be in the fifth, and he'd walk two guys, and instead of taking them out, he'd get like two more outs, and then they give up a two-run double. Or just like it was just always something where it was, or in the sixth inning, or set, like sometimes in the seventh inning, it was just very frustrating with Corbin. I'd love to be able to do that quickly and look back at it all, but I don't know how to do it quickly, so I haven't done it. Of like how how much how many times that happened with him. But even with that being said, you look at his overall numbers. Strikeout rate was down tremendously. Still getting barreled up a lot. Um, you mentioned the the slider usage was bad. The velocity was down. It's a weird one. It's like. Part of me says he doesn't need to be a heavy velo guy because he can be a good pitcher. But if you're a two-pitch pitcher, you probably need some darn velo. So it's very tricky. The biggest thing is is we used to take him a lot higher. And it's very – he can still be that guy. I think he's the third, he's the SP3 for the Nats, so he's not facing the ace that much. He's going to have some nice matchups there on the mound. And where he's going here, he has that potential to be much better than his ADP right now. At the same time – what we saw last year could only it could get worse too. So it's, it's a very tough pick. I feel like if you're in an overall, Corbin's a very intriguing pick for me because I think he can he can give you that boost you're looking for. If you're in a standalone league, I probably just kind of sit back and let him go. But he's very very intriguing, so that's why I wanted to bring him up in the the conversation tonight. He's he's someone I think is kind of getting overlooked for the most part right now. But where he's going, I'll pick one thirty one. We're not used to seeing that with him. All right. Next two pitchers off the board. We slide down a bit here. 62nd pitcher off the board, Frankie Montas at pick 164. 63rd pitcher off the board, Herman Marquez at pick 169. Marquez obviously in Coors Field, but he's been pretty good. Montas, after the back injury last year, was just absolutely horrific. So where do you stand on these two? Yeah, I um, I don't, I haven't drafted either one of them. I think with Montas, <clears throat> you know, we have the – small little bit in 2019 where he was incredibly effective with that split finger fastball. But I think the challenge with him last year is he had the injuries, but he also didn't throw that split finger fastball as much, right? So you're kind of looking for him to get healthy and you're also looking for him to change that pitch mix a little bit to throw the splitter more, which is, which is his most effective pitch. Obviously throwing for the A's is, is a really, um, it's a great situation for any pitcher. So, uh, but I, I just haven't been that interested. And part of it is also like just team construction from my perspective is a lot of times where he's going, like I have my third starting pitcher by pick a hundred and, 
Um, and so I'm just not really, you know, going after the guys who are in this range. Um, so that's with Montas. I mean, Marquez, I definitely get it. Um, you know, but I just have a really hard time if you can't start him in cores, you know, I mean, I know that some people probably do, but just spending this pick with a guy that I don't like half of his starts already, you know, it's probably a bad process from my perspective, but I'm just not that interested in going. I feel like I was deeply impacted by that outing he had against the Giants, like, two years ago when he gave up eight runs in a third of an inning because it was just like juggernaut. Yeah. Just, just reinforced. Yeah. It was before the giants were good too. It was like, (laughs) you know, um, and you know, just reinforced that you can't really, you can't really start him at quarters or, I mean, you can, you can, and he's been decently effective there, but it just, it hurts. Um, and so I, I just would rather go with a different pitcher where he's going so I'm kind of out on both of them, which seems to be a theme, I think, on, um, you know, uh, on on some of these. But, um, yeah. Yeah, this one's interesting to me. Montas, I'm like, I'm kind of in on both these guys a little bit. Like, I'm not fully in the pool, but I'm really like, I'm like ankle deep on on Montas. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, he's healthy finally. Again, he got, he, has, he got COVID, so we'll see how healthy he is. But the back really like you can document it last year. He was dominate the first like three or four starts back injury forcing to miss start. He was short than like they backed him up like two days on a second start and he just never really rebounded. So I don't know if that's why he didn't throw any splitters. I have no idea. That's a still a concerning part, but he was never the same after the back injury regardless. So that's something I want to watch in this spring. I think there could be some bounce back there. Marquez. I've never, I've always preached like never Coors. Marquez has grown on me tremendously this offseason. One of the biggest reasons he used to be so much higher last year, where he's getting drafted now, you can cherry pick his cooler starts. Like where he used to go, he was like an SP2 or three on most rosters. You kind of, where you drafted him, you kind of felt obligated to, you had to throw him in cores. But um, where he's going now, he's like your SP4, maybe SP5 if you're super aggressive on, on starting pitchers. So you can sit him for a week or something and, and not be too concerned about it. The other thing I'll mention is in a world where we're talking about innings being a concern, the dude is an innings eating machine. Um, he's projected for over 180 innings in, in all of them. He threw um, 81 innings last year. He threw like 170, I think, the year before the, or prior. He, he's been a, a massive innings contributor. And lastly, what I'll mention, he had like a 580 ERA at home last year, like a two something ERA on the road. And you can't pick which starts you want to get rid of. But let me just say his home starts against the Giants, seven and a third, two runs. Texas, six innings, two runs. Houston, five innings, ten runs. Padres, six innings, five runs. Angels, seven innings, two runs. Oakland, three runs in six and two-thirds. So he had he got blown up by Houston. Five runs isn't ideal either against San Diego. But in all honesty, if you draft him and you see San Diego's coming to town, you probably don't pitch him that week anyways. Like you just you just don't. And then Houston, you probably debate that one as well. But I would, you know, Giants, Texas, Angels, Oakland, you at least have the conversation in your head about pitching them, and those were not bad starts. So he gets a lot of strikeouts. He um, pitches a ton of innings. And I, I'm very, very much more in on Marquez this year than I've ever been in on Marquez. So it could be extremely, extremely scary coming into the season. But uh, we'll see. And like um, Jomo Baseball says, he could be a trade candidate. That is true. And then Jacob Stout even says, 
even Rocky had a Montas. So he's got a little, a little jokes right there. So that's good as well. So I'm in on Marquez, and I've never been in Marquez, so I'm terrified. Yeah. But, he was super lucky last year. Yeah. Point, point six six home run per nine, one two two for his career, super low strand rate. Interesting. Some skill regression as well. But I mean, I, I totally get it. And the trade candidate thing is, isn't, is legit, right? I mean, imagine if he gets traded mid season, you know, and you get a full half season of him somewhere, somewhere else, you know, I mean, that's, that's huge. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those where he's going now in drafts around pick one, one, uh, 170 almost like that's so much different than what was before. Like he's gone as low as 215 in some of these drafts, like past two pick 200. It's hard for me to say no to Herman Marquez. It's really hard. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm finally there. Uh, two more to go here. Chris Bassett, pitcher 69, uh, ADP 181. Tyler Molle, pitcher 70 at 185. You know, Bassett coming off a strong season. Molle has got the stuff everyone wants to see. Can he put it together this year? Where do you stand on these two? Yeah, um, I'm, 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 I dig Molle. Um, I'm you, into you, him. You do Molle or you dig Molle? I dig. I dig. Yeah. Um, uh, I just think that he made some changes last year where, and I think this is kind of a consistent thing for the Reds pitchers where they're not giving in to hitters, you know, and, and you see it maybe with Gray with the control and the walk rate. You see it with Castillo with his control issues and, and the walk rate as well. But, um, you know, he had a really nice four seam fastball, both from a velocity perspective and, and impact. He could be a guy that benefits a lot from the dead end ball as well as a five ball pitcher. That, that four-seam fastball cutter combination, just those two pitches allowed him to be pretty dominant down the stretch. Really nice swinging strike rate, just really nice, um, you know, metrics kind of a, across the board. And now he's in the rotation and and he'll be there. So I have him on a few, at least a few teams, I think. Um, he also, I feel like I'm going to be more into him if he, if he slides a little bit. He was going around like 150 to 165, I think, before. But um interested in that. Bassett, I think I, I'm not really down with Bassett um too much. I think he was pretty well, he's I mean, he's been like kind of consistently fortunate, but you know, not really like a lot of swing and miss, not really a lot of strikeout. You know, he doesn't, you know, the walk rate, I don't know why he has such a why he was able to maintain such a low walk rate, doesn't have a good O swing was getting behind in the counts more than previous seasons didn't throw the ball in the zone more so it seems like he's somebody who would probably have like a higher deserved walk rate and then um yeah so not going to strike out a ton of guys yeah the ratios might be decent if he runs into a little bit of luck but gives up too much contact um for me so i'm not that i'm not that interested yeah, at this point in the draft, uh, it's a roster construction play for me. If I'm confident in my strikeouts, I don't mind Chris Bassett because I, I feel like his ratios overall won't be too damaging. Be on a good A's team, pitching in that good ballpark. Uh, just strikeouts will be low. But he has a very, very good ground ball rate, limits the long ball. So I don't mind him at all in that respect. But you need to be pretty confident in strikeouts because he's not going to get you done. But he is very good at getting quality starts and getting the job done last year. He's He might be the – A's number one this year before Lazardo, but uh, it's like Montas, Basil, Lazardo up top there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I don't mind him in that respect, but you know Molly's at that up and coming stuff, big time strikeout guy. 
you just need to keep the ball in the ballpark. Like that hard hit rate, especially the lefties, is uh, terrifying at times. But if he can fine-tune that some more, he'll be very, very good. So he's definitely intriguing worth a gamble at this point in time. And that's what differentiates these two for me. If you just want the safe guy and you're good on strikeouts, you just want the ratios, I don't mind Bassett at all. If you need some upside and hope you, he uh, takes that next step, I think Molly's very, very good in that respect. So those are the way I look at those two going into this season. And the last one we have for you tonight, Dallas Keuchel, boring veteran pitcher, lots and lots of innings, not a lot to strikeouts. Where the heck is he? Oh, oh, there he is. 73rd start, the pitcher off the board, pick 192. Aaron Savali, 74th off the board at pick 193. Aaron Savali, he kind of has that Tyler Molle vibe to him to me where everyone's pumped on him coming up this year. And then you got Dallas Keuchel. So what do you got with these two? Yeah, I think uh, Keuchel, I have him on one team just because I needed volume so badly. It was actually the Battle of the Pods team and i immediately regretted it just because he's not good from like any perspective whatsoever i mean the ratios will be fine i think you know if you look at his eras you know the last uh five years four five five two nine three seven four three seven four one nine nine the whips are a little bit more concerning you know 112 uh 131 137 109 but he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. Like he keeps the ball in the ballpark, gives up a ton of ground balls, not a lot of hard contact. He's he is what he is. You kind of know what you're getting with him, which I think is part of the part of the value. And as you mentioned before, the volume. And one of the things to consider too is like for a guy who is um, for a guy who is for a guy whose whose weakness is strikeouts. You know it's less of a weakness this year, I think, because for a guy who can give you volume, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's one thing kind of going in his favor. Savali is very interesting. I know he's, he's working on a new arm action in spring training. It looks like, you know, the shorter arm, um, uh, arm work or whatever. I don't, I don't know anything about mechanics. So who am I kidding? But, uh, there was video of that. And that's one of the things that helped, you know, propel Lucas Giolito. He added a little bit of velocity after he did that. And that could certainly go a long way for Savali, because I think the one thing that he lacks is a fastball that's decent. I mean, his sinker has generated a 2.3% and then a 2.8% swinging strike rate, you know, but then he's got a diverse arsenal. He's got a cutter. He's got the curveball. He's got the changeup, all with double digit swinging strike rates. He's even got some pitches that are effective in the zone, like um, like the curveball, like the changeup. So I think there's a lot um, there's a lot there um, that could go right for him, and I think it'll be really interesting to monitor him during spring training. He may be a guy that I, I'm a little bit more interested in, um, and I think there's gonna, you're going to see a lot of bold predictions from the anti Plesak folks, yeah. um, and I think uh, uh, I think we get might have been Todd Zola who mentioned it. Um, his his bold prediction, or I don't know if it was official build prediction, but just that Aaron Savale would be better than uh, Zach Plezak this year. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm really um, I'm really interested in seeing that. Yeah, I remember seeing Zola do that, and I saw our buddy uh, Mike Curlin second that thought. So it's going to be a very popular one out there for sure. And I don't mind Savale. I liked him a lot last year. He had a little up and down go of it, but uh, I like the change in mechanics, like Gilito. And also, I believe Alex Fast was talking about it. Should help with his off-speed pitches as well and help with the tunneling 
which is very big as well. So uh, good stuff with that. And then Keiko, like I even took him in a, at a league as well. You know, he's going to have good ratios, no strikeouts, lots of ground balls, limits hard contact, probably a, a decent amount of W's for the White Sox. Uh, going to eat up a lot of innings. If you're in a quality star league, he gets it done a lot. It's just not sexy because there's no strikeouts. Like there's none. But he's it's another one of those guys, if you're comfortable in strikeouts, which I was in that league, I got Cole and a couple other guys where I was like, yep, I'm good. Get Keiko to just kind of offset those uh, the uh, the ratios for you and really lock things in. I don't hate that at all, so that's, that's very intriguing. Uh, real quick, before we go on here, Jacob Stout in the chat mentioned – um, on our Molly versus Bassett talk, he says uh, he doesn't know. ATC has Bassett at 140 Ks over 157 innings, a 407 ERA. Molly 161 Ks over 152 innings with a 452 ERA. His question was: Is 20 strikeouts worth a half a run in ERA? To me, if you're needing strikeouts, it is yes. But uh, what what say you? Yeah, I mean, I I honestly don't pay that much attention to projections for pitchers just because I don't think they respond quick enough, you know, like um, with Molly last year, 13.8% swinging strike rate, nearly 20% K minus walk rate at K percent close to um, 30% or, you know, more than 11 strikeouts um, per nine, you know, the BABIP obviously stayed um, pretty low. So there may be some regression there, but he also dominates in the zone Z contact at 80.4%, so much better than league average. You know, extreme fly ball pitcher, so maybe benefited by the dead end ball as well. You know, so yes, you know, ATC may project them for, you know, slightly more strikeouts than Bassett, uh, but I, I don't necessarily see that. Like ATC right now has, you know, has him at slightly more than a strikeout per inning um, for Molly, but I think, you know, given he had a totally new, I think the cutter was like a brand new pitch for him last year. Let me just double check. Um, so the cutter, I mean, he threw 141 in 2019, but he really amped it up 18.6% swinging strike rate, you know, on that pitch, even his four seam has an 11.6% swinging strike rate, which is higher than Bassett's overall swinging strike rate. So I just think like the upside is much greater from my perspective. And, um, you know, and Bassett, I mean, Bassett could continue to limit contact in the same way that he, you know, that he has um, in the past. But, you know, he's never like he's never, you know, two years ago, he almost struck out, you know, one guy um, per um, per innings pitched. No, 9.9% swinging strike rate, 14.6% K minus walk rate, as I mentioned before. Not sure I believe that walk rate with underlying skills doesn't get guys to chase, has never had a league average, you know, chase rate. Yeah, can't really dominate in the zone that much either. Uh, let me take take a look at his, his um, pitch mix a little bit here. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, maybe maybe if he goes to the four seam a little bit more, I mean, maybe there's like a little bit more potential there for Bassett. Although if he goes to the four seam, theoretically, like my guess would be that, you know, the contact may be a little bit worse. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's give and take. I just think it's a matter of um, I just think it's a matter of upside with Molly. Like, I think Molly can be a legit, very, very good pitcher. I don't think Bassett can necessarily get there. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that Bassett doesn't have like he's a useful pitcher for me. And I think with Molly, I really like what I could um, uh, potentially uh, get from him. I think he could take a, a step and be a really, really good pitcher. And I'll, and I'll kind of hedge a little bit on that one. Yeah, no, and that, that's the thing is like Bassett is who he is. Like there's really no more to go from there. If anything is down than up. So that's what you're getting. Molly's got the the, the ceiling. Like Jacob Stout does say thank you, though. He didn't expect an answer, but uh, he loves it. So th- thanks for hey. Yep. You Jacob, take if nothing else, we'd yep. love to respond to listener questions. Yeah. And, and uh, we very much appreciate people who join us in the stream yep. and um, ask questions. So thank you very much. Yep, Jomo, Jomo Baseball's on the same side. Molly has all the upside, so he's with us on that one. But, and also, uh, Jomo is a great nickname for Jordan Montgomery. It has not caught on, but Jomo, I mean, there's Logan Morrison. Lomo. He's got Lomo, yep. and you've got Jordan Montgomery, and he's not Jomo. Should. Like, come on, people. Yep, no doubt about it. But um, I changed the head, header while we were, you were talking there. We uh, This is part one because I was looking – there's a lot post 200. So we might talk about some more next week. Let's just do that. Instead of okay. just wrong, instead of just, instead of just saying like 20 Late guys, pitcher like targets. Yeah. Those, those are the podcasts that people listen to. Yep. Those can win leagues. Those can win leagues. So uh, we'll go there and we have a bunch of listener questions. So we'll head into those now and get that all taken care of for you. Crabby at the crab at the underscore crab underscore shack underscore ass. Any concern with spin rate cheaters with league supposedly cracking down on the sticky stuff like Colin Bauer? My answer is no, because they've been doing it for decades and they're going to continue to do it. And bas- and hitters actually want them to have sticky stuff. So they're not getting beamed with fastballs. So as long as it's not obvious, it's still going to happen. That's the way I see it. Yeah. I'm not worried about it as well. I haven't heard anywhere that they're going to crack down on it. And I mean, quite frankly, like teams have invested a ton of money into starting pitchers who use sticky substances to be effective and the last thing i think baseball wants to do is come around and make pitchers less effective that teams have just given massive contracts to so um just purely from like a financial perspective i didn't that don't think it makes sense and i also think it's just really hard i think it'd be really hard for them to do that especially since they've known it's been there for so long and they haven't done it done anything about it like cracking down on it now just doesn't really make a, a ton of sense to me uh, Anthony, I always screw this up. I apologize. Gialde, he asks, um, I don't think I've heard anyone analyze it probably because it's unknown, but what are we doing with the dead ball effect on Coors? Should we should we be moving Marquez up a bit? He has shown the ability to tame Coors in short stints. Could the dead ball push him up? Could he be a bargain? To me, I, A, I'm not too – the dead ball, when people, the smart people are saying it's like a 5% thing that really only hurts certain people. Coors Field, Coors Field to me, they have a humidor, and that's about as far as I think it's going to go. I already told people why I'm high on Marquez this year, but are you thinking that the dead ball helps him even more? Um, I don't think he's like a fly ball pitcher, is he? Not really, no. No, he's a high ground ball pitcher. He's a yeah, 50.6% so, yeah, ground that's ball what helps, pitcher. That's why so he survives those starts in Coors. Yeah, he's not really one. And one misconception about Coors is that it's like a really good home run hitters park. park. It's it's actually not. Yeah, it's Double a Babbitt park. Yeah. So I don't think it really has a huge impact on his on his um uh on his value much. I mean it's a great question, but I just don't see him being a guy who's 
more impacted by it. The guys that I think are more impacted by it are, are like your, your high fly ball pitchers, right? right? Um, who are going to have a higher volume of fly balls and are going to have fewer home runs as a result of that. And the BABIP is going to be lower for them yeah. as, as well. Well, we, I mean, it will be slightly lower maybe, but you know, also you won't have the home runs factoring into the, to the batting average, you know? So again, and just, and just for example, Marquez gave up six home runs last year in his 13 starts and his 80, four or 84 or so innings, 81 innings, only two of those came at Coors. So uh, he, he threw that, that game against the Giants, seven or 30, six hits, no homers. That game against Houston, 10 hits, 10 runs, only one homer. San Diego, eight hits, five runs, one homer, then no homers the rest of the way. Five or more hits in every start. He actually had five or more hits in all but two starts the entire season, no matter where he pitched. But he gets, keeps the ball in the yard pretty good, doesn't walk a lot, strikes out a ton. So. And one thing to, of note for Marquez is he was super lucky on home runs last year. <laughs> He's going to mention that many times. And 0.66 home runs per nine, nine percent home runs. It's not lucky when the balls hit on the ground all the time. It's just how it works. Well, um, yeah, but I mean, I know. Out his of his career, five home run per yeah. five ball rate is sixteen point eight percent, and last year it was nine point something percent. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense, people. Stick, more sticky stuff, spin rate. Um, Let me get cranky for a second. No, yeah, he, Toby's getting cranky here. Like I got cranky with Granky. There you <laughs> go. Um, Rob DPH or a buddy at Deadpool hitter ask if you feel strong about there being no DH. What is your biggest adjustment for starting pitchers, and who is the biggest loser drop in rank? Um, I still think there's going to be a DH, but if you don't, obviously you move some National League guys up. That's just uh, what it looks like to me. What uh, say you, Toby? Yeah, Rob, I let the projections do the work for me. You know. Um, I've, uh, you know, actually that's a lie because I don't really look at, I mean, I look at projections for hitter for pitchers, uh, generally speaking, but, um, I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you, Rob. I think I, I just kind of think about the pitcher and overall context and whether I want them on my team, which is probably a weakness. <laughs> that I and Toby's heard. one of the best NFBC players out there. Remember that folks. There you go. That's good stuff. I have a very um, short track record on that one. I appreciate the commentary, but yeah, I have a very short track record. Well, you're damn, you're damn good in that short period. Um, Doug Fraley Jr. at Doug underscore Fraley asks, with it looking like there will be no NLDH, are you guys seeing NL pitchers getting any slight bumps? We kind of talked about that. Seems like I haven't noticed it acknowledged much in the fantasy world. Yeah, we just, we just hit on that, Doug. It, it, it will impact the National League pitchers. That's why, like we talked at the very beginning, DeGrom's over Cole now. Last time, Cole was over DeGrom. So it might not be a dramatic shift, but you're going to see National League pitchers get a bump. It's just the way it's going to go. So that's what yeah, you'll see. I mean, it, it makes you feel better about guys like Nola, you know, too. Where, yeah, I'm with you 100% you know, there. Like guys who maybe you, you don't think of as being having a ton of K upside, but that little like one or two more strikeouts per 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 uh, per game is – yeah, it's huge. That's a good good bumper from Mar Marquez too. Um it's eh, gonna get traded to the AL, AL probably. That'd be my luck, yeah. To like get traded to the AL East yeah, to the Camden. East, the Orioles are gonna make a big move for him. He's yeah. in trouble. They're gonna get off to a two-month hot start and go, we're going all in. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Trading DJ Stewart to Colorado to get me excited for Herman Marquez. <laughs> um Guillermo Salve asks, these are some quick hitters. Do you think Giolito's ready to step into tier one? I say yes. What is what is what say you? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Can Ian Anderson keep it up? Uh, I say no. I say no. Yeah. Well, Frankie Montas, remember he has a splitter. I say yes. Uh, I say no. 
There we go. We disagree on one. Uh, well, it depends Pry on what remember means in terms of a percent usage. Yeah, I think basically, um, you think he throws it more than he did last year? He really should. He I'd really say should. yes. Maybe I'll say yes. He, Maybe I'll say uh, yes. The Ace has to see that. Him, Bubba, and that just True. Messes True. Me up. True. Does David Price have any value if he's playing this year? Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, th I think he's going to play. I think. Um, I think. I think he'll be really good. What's Eduardo Rodriguez's healthy ceiling? Erod came out the other day and said he feels fully healthy from everything. He's been he's been throwing on the side. He's ready to throw thirty starts again this year. Of course, he's excited. We'll see what he does. Um, what do you think his healthy ceiling is? Yeah, I mean they're gonna they're gonna have to monitor the innings pitched yeah. considerably. So I think there's a limited upside there. But where he's going, you know, that's kind of baked into the into the cost going in the mid two hundreds. I think. So um, just, he's definitely an interesting him. dart throw there. Not dart throw say, because you know he's good, but like that's what I love about where he's going. What if I over under 140 innings? Under considerably. Okay. okay. I think I think he pushes at the 140. I really mm -hmm. do. Because they have they have nothing to lose there. They really don't. Um if Severino makes it back in June, how awesome would that be? I'm not touching Severino. Uh that would not be awesome. Because yeah. we, the I am not a fan of Severino on this podcast. There we go. The destroyer of dreams himself, Luis Severino, yeah. the man who gave us the second <laughs> half of 2018. I think was that 2018 that he gave us, where he just yeah, destroyed all of us, crushed us all, yeah. all the hopes yeah. and dreams. Yeah, I gone. remember that. My memory goes back. No, um, honestly, I'm not. Um, I think Severino's fine. I think he's a little overrated, but. Um, you know, and with with Tommy John, you just never know how how guys are going to respond. And they have, so they I, have, I don't, I don't know that interesting. And the Yankees have extra weapons; they have no reason to push them. Like, if anything, get them ready for a couple of postseason appearances, maybe. Like, they have no reason to push them. Uh, John Wilder at John Wilder eighty four asks: So many people talk about getting those big inning guys this year due to twenty twenty being short. Am I wrong for loading up on high quality guys who may only pitch one ten to one fifty? Two starting pitchers with 180 innings pitch with a high three ERA is worse than three starting pitchers with 120 innings and a three five ERA. Are innings pitched overrated a little? Uh, no, I mean I think it's a I think it's a good point. I mean one of the questions is is two is will will the volume of the top starters be what you expect it to be relative to what it usually is? That makes sense at all. But I think the the problem with the question is it assumes that there are guys that you know are going to go 110 to 150 and have really good ratios that don't cost a lot in drafts. I, I don't know. You know, that's like Corbin Burns for me, maybe. And even with Corbin Burns, I think there's a big question mark about whether the ratios will be there again, you know, at least in the way that they were this year. So um, so I, I understand the the question. And I guess the major question is, yes, there could be a, a difference there, um, you know, in terms of maybe the, maybe the relative difference between some of the aces and some of the guys, you know, further back in the pack is, is, is fewer, right? Like there's less of a difference there. But I think one of the things when you pay up for the aces is you're paying for the ratios as well right? You're paying for good ratios, guys that have proven that they can have good ratios. And I just don't see that there's guys who are going to pitch 110 to 150 innings this year that have those types of ratios that aren't going high in drafts. I mean, that's like Kenta Maeda and, you know, guys like that, maybe, you know, like I mentioned, um, 
I mentioned uh, whatever his name is, Burns. You know, you could also say the same thing maybe about Plesak because they probably won't push him that hard. You know, uh, so I think that the, the question is a little bit flawed in that sense, but I totally get what you're saying. And I do think, I was thinking about that a little bit, like I do think that the relative difference between the aces and maybe some of the guys lower back, like further back in terms of volume could be could be less than it usually is. It also could be more, right? Um, and that's one of the challenges going into 2021 is we just we just don't know. Yeah, and it's like I get what he's saying. That's why in years past I've talked about guys like Strasburg and some others that I'd rather have 150 quality innings from them than 180 from somebody else. So that's kind of where he's going with it. But like Jacob Stout says in the chat, fewer innings pitch also means fewer wins, fewer quality starts, and also probably fewer strikeouts. So are you going to sacrifice these other categories for just your ratios and or where you can maybe help your ratios out with different closers, relievers, something like that? So there's, there's different ways to go about it. Dave Petroziello asks, there are some very smart people in fantasy baseball Twitter that are showing John Means a lot of hate. I like him. I know Toby does too. So why are we right? Yeah, I mean, um, I think what Dave is referencing is Rob Silver on the latest episode of um, the Launch Angle podcast, you know, kind of uh, got upset at those of us, myself included, who are who are drafting John Means where we are, as well as Drew Smiley where we are. Um, and I think he had a lot of really good points. I mean, a lot of salient points. And um, I wish I had really astute, you know, kind of ways of coming back. But I think one of the things at this point in the draft, I think that there is very few kind of sure things, if you will. Like there's, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of question marks about a lot of the pitchers going in this area of the draft. And I want to look at upside with means in particular. I mean, I think you can point to the velocity increase. His increase was, was substantial. I think it was, uh, two miles or two miles per hour or more, you know, in the season he was injured and then he went on the bereavement list. But when he came back, um, he was really good, you know, from just a skills standpoint, swinging strike rate, um, you know, O swing. He has a very low walk rate. So while home runs are certainly an issue with him as a major fly ball pitcher, um, home runs are an issue. He's still able to manage to keep a very low whip, you know, throughout his career because he has a very high O swing. He's got the four seam fastball that was generally generating like above like 12%, I want to say swinging strike rate on it. He also has the changeup, which is not necessarily a dominant pitch quite yet, but still generates a pretty significant swinging strike rate. And then he's got the curve, which I think is a, a lesser pitch. But I think there are there is the potential there for him to be really good. I also think he's benefited by the dead end ball because he is a, a fly ball pitcher. And so, you know, when I look at means, I think, you know, if, if things don't go great, you know, the ERA will probably be high. I think the whip will be will continue to be pretty low because he's a fly ball pitcher and because he doesn't walk guys necessarily. Um, so that will at least be helpful. I think he's shown that he can get, you know, a K per, per nine, especially with the, if the bump in velocity holds, which traditionally it, it has held when those happen towards the end of the year. And so I think there's a lot of, to like with means as well. And I think especially the whip piece, you know, um, at this area of the draft, like I, I like that low whip. Um, from John Means, um, which makes, uh, which for me make, makes him, um, you know, a guy that actually is going up in my estimation, I think because of the dead end ball. And I think I've shared on Twitter um, the rolling average graph that he had over his last five games. And yeah, it's only the last five games, it's recency bias, whatever. But when I can actually point to a reason why 
you know, he's improving like a fastball velocity when there's a material change, then I don't think there's a reason why I shouldn't necessarily believe that he'll be able to maintain that in the future. So that's kind of my case for John Means, why I like him a lot heading into next year. Um, but again, like, you know, people with very reasonable takes can disagree on these things. They can, you know, not want to draft John Means, and that's great because that means that we get to draft John Means, Dave. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, the increased velo and then just the p- proper pitch mix, with which, with which we saw at times last year, would be tremendous for John Means. Uh, that'd be big. And as much as I don't want it to happen because of Trey Boo Boo and others, just watch them put a humidor in Baltimore. There's some stadiums getting humidors. Let's just wait and Ooh, see what happens. Baba, dead into so. ball and a humidor for John Means. I mean, we could be talking about the Cy Young Award winner yep. here. Be pretty wild out of, stuff. out of Baltimore. Be pretty wild with two wins. Two wins, but great videos. Uh, ben Tid at Breaking Ben underscore T says, how many teams do you think will have six-man rotations? And should we be significantly downgrading pitchers on those teams? I think the Angels, Mariners, and possibly the Cubs are the ones I know of. Um, I've been in some chats that talked about it, so I got the info here. Um, Seattle, Detroit, Angels, the Reds, Padres, um, Cardinals, Dodgers, and Cubs have all mentioned it. So... They're all discussing it. So about that, that's eight or nine teams. So you're almost a third of the league. I wouldn't be shocked if we see more or if we see more of those phantom DLs and guys get pitched. It might not be six-man rotations at the right time, but you see about seven guys get their chances type situation. I think a lot of teams are starting to go that way. And um, Rob Silver, uh, let me pull this up real quick. Yeah, that was a really really good tweet. I just want to mention this because, see, Rob does smart stuff that I'm too lazy or too dumb to figure out. So he brought up the point because in the recent mind in the news, the Padres mentioned it. And so um, he, in the mind in the news from Jeff Zimmerman, he said, okay, let's do some math on say Darvish normal rotation. If he stays healthy, you get 32 starts, six man rotation. You get 26 Darvish's average six innings per start, six less starts, 36 less innings. That takes him down to 156 from his projection. Let's say he's at 11 K per nine. That's 44 less K's. Say the Padres are very good and he's lucky, gets a win every second start, so he loses three wins. 44 Ks, three wins, and 36 less innings of quality ratios is a massive drop from that valuation from where he's getting picked towards the end of round one, early round two. Um, so you got to kind of look at, I guess, where they're getting drafted. Does that hit cost as much? And in reality, it's going to definitely take them out of starts that they normally have. The caveat, if I have to play devil's advocate, is Simeon mentioned it when I talked to him, and I can't remember where he said he got it from. I think uh, Ray from Baseball HQ has talked about it too. If they're only pitching, say, once a week now, they might get to go a couple extra innings per start because they're stretched out some more. And they might be – like Kikuchi last year is a great example. He pitched better because he had a lot of extra days rest. He was fresher. That could be a benefit for some of these kind of middling pitchers. So the aces, I think, take a big hit. The middling guys could actually kind of get a boost in theory, if that makes sense. So what's your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I have the wrong perspective on this. I'm kind of like, I mean, with some of them, it makes sense. But with some of them, I'm just like, I'll believe it when I see it. Because it's like, it assumes a number of things. Like, number one, I think it assumes health right so it assumes that like everybody stays healthy that can compete you know it also in some respects i almost feel like it assumes that we're going to have expanded playoffs because you know like with the padres 
you know, and, and obviously some of it's like the, the pitching, you know, the innings pitched because of what, you know, because of the, the previous season, but like with the Padre, you know, like, like with a lot of these teams, I mean, if we don't get the expanded playoffs, like it's hard to make the playoffs like regularly. Right. And so you can't really be throwing not great pitchers, you know, every six games. I mean, with some of the bad rotations, I mean, the Mariners, we know it's going to happen. Right. I mean, with the Cubs, like maybe they do it so that Kyle Hendricks gets like less starts, but you know, or like their Alec Mills gets less starts or like, you know, Zach Davies gets less starts. So I'm kind of in a, I'll believe it when I see it type of mode. And hopefully we'll have a better understanding of that because I also think it's something where let's say you start out with a six man rotation and, and pitchers are creatures of habit. We know that. And then your sixth starter gets injured. Right. And then, then do you cut it down to a five man rotation? Do you mess with what you've set up throughout the course of the season? Like as you get down the stretch and the games become more important, do you cut it down a little bit? So maybe I buy it for one of some of the seller dwellers, you know, like some of the guys, some of the teams that aren't going to be good this year, but for a team like the Padres, I just have a really hard time thinking that that's what they're going to end up doing because, you know, and, and what if Dill Nelson Lamette gets it, you know, does it I was about to say that, right? I was about to say that like, you yeah, don't I have mean, to worry like, about it when that happens. And it's just like, and then you're going to have uh, Morion like go three or four innings, you know, in his sixth start. And then you're going to use up your bullpen finishing that game off. You know, it's just, for me, there's too many questions about it, at least for the good teams, for it to make sense. And a lot of the teams you mentioned, I mean, let's be honest with you, like like the Tigers and the Mariners, I mean, the Orioles, yeah, there's John Means, but is there really anybody else in that rotation that's like jumping out at you? Like, so I don't know. I, I'm not super worried about it. And I just don't think anybody's going to mess with the Aces, right? Like you don't want to mess with DeGrom. You don't want to mess with Cole. You don't want to mess with any of those guys. So I'm not as concerned about it. Maybe I will look super foolish, um, which would not be the first time that that's happened. But I tend to think that, um, that if we see it, it'll be, it'll be from guys who are further down in the standings. Yeah. Uh, Nick at in Biscardi 17 asks, can you touch on massive jumps or drops from such small samples? I understand the pop-up guys because it's all we have. But is the industry putting way too much emphasis on 2020 sample for guys with longer track records? Bundy and Bieber way up, Bueller way down, for example. It's the narrative street. Like, what fits your narratives the way I see it? I, I, I look at all the samples and use them as a grain of salt. Like you mentioned, Velo is something you can definitely look at. That, that's a difference maker. But there's other there's other changes that – if there's a physical change, I, I, I can see it. But there's – like COVID issues that we don't know about. There's all kinds of other issues we don't know about. So you have to kind of look at each situation differently. I'm not as concerned on Bueller as other people are, but um, I see what he's saying. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I think you look at each player individually. I mean, just the examples that you gave though. I mean, just think about like Bieber was going like his ADP last year was like 17. Yeah. Like, you know, like he was an ace, like he was a top, seven or eight starting pitcher like heading into last year so yeah he's bumped up a little bit he also added a tick of velocity he added a new pitch with the cutter that he throws you know like he's just he's a better pitcher like he was there was differences Bueller I mean Bueller's still like going in the top 20 in ADP or something close to that at least mm-hmm. right um so it's not like he's like fallen from grace or anything like that I think there's just maybe a recognition that 
either he's a slow starter, which has happened to him a couple of years in a row, or he's probably not going to get the same type of volume because he throws for the Dodgers maybe, you know, which seem like relevant, you know, concerns. So I think there are instances where guys are getting dropped, you know, like Granke is a good example for me where the skills are better in 2020 than they were in 2019 in a lot of ways. And yet, you know, he's fallen really far because he had some really bad Babbitt days, you know, um, and I think there are other examples that are similar to that, you know, maybe Corbin, who we covered before, again, he's dropped like he was, he was going around pick 42, 40 to 45 last year. And now he's all of a sudden like at pick 150 or something like that. Like maybe that's too much of a reaction, you know, but it's also as a result of the velocity dip and maybe the slider being a little less effective and his reliance on that pitch. So, and again, we're still in, you know, late February, I think there's still an opportunity for the ADP to shift dramatically here as we get closer to March and we get an idea of how, how guys are feeling. We get reports, we see them throwing in, in spring training. And while you shouldn't put too much emphasis on spring training, obviously there are things like, you know, velocity readings. There are things like, you know, I think even like, you know, when you get to the extremes of like strikeout rates and walk rates and things like that in the, um, in the spring, we can kind of pay a little bit of attention to that, those types of things. So that's kind of the, the, my, my, um, my thing on it, but certainly, I mean, recency bias impact impacts us all. And there's no doubt that that's going to happen. And it happens every single year. Right. Um, yep. you know, so. Yep. Now about it's spring training game starting about five days. So we'll start getting some real fun stuff to look at here pretty soon. Uh, at JW, the gamer asked concerned about Garrett Cole, supposedly not having his personal catcher. I am not for two reasons. I'm pretty sure if he wanted him, he'd have him. He, I'm pretty sure he could walk in and be like, hey, I want my guy. Secondly, if it goes bad for one or two starts, I think you'll have him back. So if we have a full 162, like it looks like we'll have, we saw Cole start out slow pretty much every season and then just turn into a, a robot. So what you're getting out of Cole, I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen that and. I'm probably behind on the news a little bit, but it's like, yeah, I mean, if, if, if there's really a thing between Kyle, uh, between, um, Ishikawa, uh, between, um, Cole and Higashioka, is that, am I, am I saying it right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then yeah, he'll throw to him, you know, yeah. that, I don't think that's really a thing. And, Greg, and I would, would be Greg surprised Greg. actually, if like he doesn't throw to him, you know, yeah. if that's something that he's noticed is actually, important to him and identified that as something that's important to him, then I think that'll happen. Even if it's opening day, you know, like they want Cole to be successful. They want the team to be successful. They'll do what it takes to make that happen. Yeah. Greg Maddox had, um, had his own personal catcher, Eddie Prez for years, even though Javi Lopez was there to hit. So if, if the, if the ACE wants their catcher, he'll get their catcher. Don't worry about that. And the last question we have, Javi Lopez, in, huh? Javi Lopez yeah, back in the that's day. A great, that's a great, Great reference. Um, great reference. Uh, so, baseball pods. He uh, he mentioned this right after we started recording. No, oh. I hope you two address the elephant in the room that Justin and Mason and him discussed on the TGFBI pod. I talked about it in our Battle of the Podcast chat. I thought it was very uh, shysty of Justin Mason, and I'm saying this very sarcastically because Justin Mason, well, Chris, baseball pods. He was talking about on their sh- on the show how nice we were to um, basically to go in together to open up another spot for another team. And oh. Justin Mason and Justin Mason said, 
don't believe them, it's collusion to double up their viewership to add a stronger component to the masses. Mm. So that's the elephant in the room. Wow. I think Justin Mason should worry about his four other pods or whatever he has in the pool <laughs> and not worry about this. But um, that's just what he does. Yeah. Yeah. For those who weren't aware. So last year, Bub and I went in separately with the um, with our podcast. We haven't been doing it as long, but I mean, really, like, I mean, the thing is, pretty much all my podcasts this year, except for maybe a few of them, have been with you. So I felt like it it made sense. And then also, as we mentioned, like, I think at the time there was a lot of discussion about which pods should be in it and things like that, and we felt like it would open up a spot. So Justin Mason may not know what it what it's um, like to be unselfish. Yeah, but like you're talking we, to a guy that has know, like 20 we, we live that life. face on it. He has 20 t-shirts with his face on it. So unselfish is very, very oh, difficult. For sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, this is a selfless podcast that we do yep. here. Bubba. We're the um, podcast of the people. So I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, Mason's up to. For sure. We are, we are virtuous yep. um, and uh, egalitarian, you know, you know, we the are. way the way I see it, Toby, is usually people with uh, blasphemous statements like Justin Mason made, they're usually because they're scared. Yeah, they're so, hiding something. They're, yeah, they're, that that's the way I see it. They're hiding behind the veil of fear. Yeah. And um going after other people. I yeah. think we this should I think this is about promoting. This this uh podcast is about promoting other podcasts instead of bringing them down. So yeah. that's why when we when we are up and it's our time. You will see us be positive. You will see us asking people who listen to the pod, who enjoy the pod, you know, to vote for us. Um, we will not denigrate our opponents or do threads about how terrible each one of the podcasts are and why you should vote against them. Um, that is not something that we will, um, you know, we'll not, we'll not stoop to that level. That's some below, below, below the, the belt stuff there. It's just, it's unacceptable. Totally. But uh, hey, Gosh. teach their own. Teach I'm, their I'm own. Get, yeah. I'm getting cranky. Yeah. And on that note, before we get too cranky, we'll wrap this thing up. But uh, yeah, next week, we'll hit some more starting pictures up, get some more listener questions. So keep them coming. Love the um, love the chatter in the live chat room. Uh, so keep everything coming. Uh, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick. This is Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 72, Fantasy Baseball Starting Pitcher Part 1 Review. Catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode one Batflip Crazy Podcast and edition number 72 above in the Batflip. Uh, really appreciate all of you listening. Thanks as always for the terrific listener questions. Um, always a highlight of the podcast for sure. As I mentioned in the intro, uh, we just tackled part one of our starting pitcher preview review. We'll be doing part two next week, uh, taking a look at uh, ADP of 200 and above some uh, some deeper starting pitcher targets some guys that we like that we're going to be targeting later on in drafts so should be a lot of fun best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research your fantasy baseball drafts since it is definitely draft season now uh, take care and be kind to one another <laughs>